Nightlife with Philip Clark on ABC Radio. A team from the University of California have been able to develop synthetic cyborg cells in the lab. It does sound a bit terminated, doesn't it? The cells apparently share characteristics of living cells but do not have the ability to divide, to divide or grow. Anyway, for that and uh, dwarf dark galaxies and also do rich people are rich people much smarter than poor people. All interesting science topics. Will Grant joins us as uh, Will's Associate Professor in Science Communication at the Australian National Centre for the Public Awareness of Science at the Australian National University. Will, good evening and welcome back to Nightlife. Good evening, Philip. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Tell me about these uh, cyborg cells. What's a, what's a cyborg cell anyway? Well, uh, you're right, first of all, that it does sound very science fiction and, uh, well, scary science fiction, Terminator and things like that. Uh, I don't think we need to worry too much, but it is, it is a nice, interesting development. Uh, so what we're looking at here is a bunch of researchers mm-hmm. who are looking at ways that we can uh, manipulate things on a tiny scale within the body. There've been a bunch of, uh, you know, we'd love to be able to take uh, drugs to an exact spot within the body or maybe get cells to actually behave in ways that we want them to do. Um, there's been a couple of uh, processes uh, that researchers have tried before. So, you know, they've tried uh, to make purely synthetic cells, you know, out of uh, uh, materials that are very different to normal cell cells mm-hmm. or, They've tried uh, genetically uh, remodeling existing cells to give them new functions, and, and that does work. The problem with the genetic modification is that then they still do divide and still behave like normal cells. These new researchers have said, well, actually, what we could do is sort of turn off the ability of existing cells to divide and replicate, and then we might be able to program, and program here is a sort of biological programming, uh, them to do things that we want to take drugs to a specific place or to move around the body or something like that, but they can't divide and replicate, which is the major thing here. Uh, so that means they're not a threat in the way that some sort of genetically modified cell would be. Okay. So, and the fact that they don't, well, so they've got a lifespan too, because they don't divide and grow. Yeah, indeed. Indeed, they would have a lifespan. So, you know, the advantage of something here is they could make one of these cyborg cells uh, program it with uh, whatever it was, some drug delivery or some mm. sort of uh, thing that we want. And, and the goal is to, to use a variety of different things. And then, yes, it would be in a cyborg function, having a, a sort of a limited lifespan and it won't divide, won't replicate, won't do any of those sorts of things, but also importantly, won't necessarily be rejected by the body mm. as a synthetic cell might be. And so it, it, it's actually quite an interesting development because this opens up quite a lot of uh, interesting uh, capacities in sort of uh, medicine. Yeah, you, you always worry when you hear this, read these stories about cell engineering, don't you? Whether or not scientists are, you know, um, making some sort of Frankenstein thing in the lab that once it's out, it's out and uh, and free. But you think you say we've got nothing particularly to worry about here. Oh, look, I mean, if you want to write a science fiction story around something <laughs> like this, you, you could absolutely make people worried. Hmm. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, there are, you know, the doom mongers out there or the fun science fiction authors who could imagine this uh, technique being used for all sorts of um, hmm. nefarious. But but I do think, you know, that the the positive aspects and the and the opportunities that this does give us uh, in terms of uh, benignly moving around the body and doing things at the micro-micro scale 
is really something that is that is worth lauding. Yes, of course, we have to maintain that capacity carefully. But uh, no, I wouldn't be too worried about uh, mm. I don't know, some sort of uh, cyborgs inside the body. But it is, it's an interesting, the thing that's really interesting to me is that it's opening up this new sort of overlap between, I guess, robot and, um, and living organism, that there might be a variety of areas, both tiny at the cellular level or larger where rather than having a purely robotic purely synthetic type uh we could instead use the advantages of uh biological bodies but uh reprogram them to mm. our own ends in a useful way mm. okay now uh, i like this one uh <laughs> being at the top of the income scale doesn't necessarily mean that you're smarter <laughs> I wonder whether we needed science to tell us this. Um, in other words, it's not necessarily the smartest people who have the highest incomes. Uh, this is according to quite a big survey, actually. Yes, indeed, indeed. And as you said, did we need science to tell us? Probably not, but it is very nice when uh, science does confirm the existing biases that we have out there. And And look... I don't doubt that among your listeners, you may have some of these super rich individuals and, and more power to you, maybe, mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But uh, the result of this study, and it was quite, a, quite an expensive study and, and an interesting one in Sweden, it used about 60,000 Swedish men mm -hmm. who had been through, uh, uh, well, military training in, in Sweden because they have uh, compulsory military service. And it means they had a group of people from throughout society rich, poor, all sorts of backgrounds. And they could run a series of, um, well, the regular tests that they have coming into the military, including IQ tests and things like that. So what they could then do with that is then look at, okay, where did these people go later in life after their military service? Did they go on to rich careers, poor careers, anything like that? And it seemed, first thing is that, yes, there is, as, you, uh, as your intelligence, your uh, capabilities increase, there is some correlation with increased income. But so there is a relationship between that. That's right. We're not saying there's not. but No, there's not. That's, so, that's, yes, there is. Um, but, but not all the way. So, yes, it does open. You know, we're, we're well aware that doctors and uh, lawyers and things like that uh, definitely there is um, an increase there in that capability and there is an increase in income there. But then it stops when you get to the very high echelons and then you get a drop down so that the people that are in the very top of the income scale, the one percenters or so, uh, don't tend to need to be smarter at all and may definitely be not quite as smart as the people in the steps below. So it seems like, yes, uh, Higher intelligence does help you earn more income to a point. But then if you want to get the super high incomes, unfortunately, you either have to be lucky or uh, born that way. But intelligence doesn't seem to help. Mm, so that's right. But that's right. Maybe they're just people who inherited money, for example, who weren't that particularly smart, but just got it. Or maybe, they, maybe they're people who are terribly ruthless. Ah, <laughs> This is, I don't, I don't know if the Swedish military did a test for ruthlessness. I mean, maybe there are other militaries that did that test. Mm. Uh, potentially, it, it could be, it could be absolutely that there are other capacities other than just family inheritance that took them to the top of the income scale. I don't, I don't doubt that there might be other sorts of things going on, but not intelligence. So one percenters, uh, you know, you, you, you are at the top of the income scale, but not the top of the intelligence scale. If that matters to you, I don't know if it does. Oh, well, I'm sure it matters to some people. That's right. That's interesting. Now, <laughs> here's a thing which I'd like you to explain to me, uh, Will. Uh, most galaxies uh, emit light. They shine. 
because there are stars and uh, other things in them that reflect light or emit or reflect light. But they've now discovered a, a galaxy that's quite near us that appears to emit no visible light. How can that be? Yes. This is a very strange thing. And uh, I, you know, I read this story, I read the headline, and I thought, wow, what is going on there? Yeah. I'll step away from this galaxy for a second and, and talk more broadly about the problem of uh, dark matter. Uh, That's what I want you to explain to me. <laughs> absolutely. So, yes, everything that when, when we look up into the night sky, mm. we see stars, we see galaxies, we see a lot of things. Mm. But one of the problems that physicists, astrophysicists in particular, have had for quite a long time is we know that what we can see just isn't enough. So, What do, what do you mean by that? Yeah, the, the basic problem is if you have a spinning galaxy, as all galaxies are, we know in general that the light that we can see from the stars, if you count those stars or measure the, the mass of those stars, just isn't enough to hold them together. So there's a lot of galaxies that spin at a certain rate. And if we just had that amount of gravity, then the stars should just spin off. They would, they would uh, fall out of the, the gravity well and just zip off into the universe. But galaxies are held together. It's like there's something sticky inside the galaxy holding them together much more than the mass of that uh, galaxy. One of the interesting things is that it suggests... Okay, so, so you're saying if, if they were spinning away around, etc., those forces would cause the galaxy to come apart. Yeah, absolutely. But the galaxy that doesn't come apart, so therefore there is some gravity holding the galaxy together that's not evident from all the things you can see. Yeah. I know, I know, here's a, here's a, what, about a bad... the, what about the black hole at the centre? Doesn't that have a lot of gravity? Yes, it does. It does. And, and, a, and a black hole is definitely a form of, well, it's dark matter because we can't see it. And this is, this is one explanation for what dark matter is. So basically, there, there seems to be more in galaxies holding them together than we can see. At the start, yes, there is uh, black holes, definitely as part of all galaxies, and most galaxies have a black hole at the middle. The Milky but Way does, doesn't it? it? has a black hole. Yes, it does. Uh, typically a supermassive black hole right at the middle of a galaxy. Because the stars are so dense, uh, they really do come together and make large black holes there. And they can be right at the middle of the, the, uh, the galaxy. So it is you know, sort of like the centre of the wheel. But there seems to be a lot more than that. And in, in fact, some galaxies might have... Uh, might seem like they have 50, 60, 70, 80, perhaps even 90% of the matter, stuff that we can't see. It could just be dust, it could be other things, but it seems like there is a lot of dark matter that just doesn't have enough explanation for, for the gravity behaviours of that galaxy. Now, the interesting thing about this story is that uh, you know, a lot of researchers are looking for that explanation of, okay, what is out there? What is the dark matter that we can see? And so they're using a range of different um, techniques to, um, to look into the sky. So there's different radio telescopes and light telescopes and new gravitational uh, telescopes where we can look at gravitational waves. What they found here is something that is galaxy-sized. It is absolutely, you know, uh, not a huge galaxy, but quite a large galaxy. It looks like they can see something like 700,000 uh, stars in there, which mm. seems like a lot. But, you know, in terms of, you know, the Milky Way would have hundreds of millions, hundreds of billions. I don't know the number on that, but, but a lot more. But the interesting thing is there is something like 5 billion times or 5 billion solar masses worth of weight there. So basically only a, only a very small, maybe 2% of that galaxy is lit up. The rest is all dark, which is a huge number. 
And it suggests, okay, this might give us a clue into the dark matter that is hiding throughout. No one the- really knows what this is. Even, even when we use the word dark matter, no one even knows whether, it, well, I suppose it has to be matter if it, if it, if it generates gravity. The point about it being matter, yes, is that it has a gravitational effect. But that's the thing about dark matter. That's about the only thing that it does. No one's so, got anything. No one, there's no really good ideas about what it is, are there? There, there are certainly theories, you know, that, that it is um, very small. Dust-type particles are even smaller than that. Or it could, be, uh, it could be, you know, as I said before, black holes. But the point is it's not giving out light or, mm. or emitting radio waves or anything like that. So it's just difficult. It's difficult for us to detect because gravity is the only thing that really seems to influence. And yes, it is one of those big mysteries in, in the universe. There is, there is a lot of stuff that we just can't see out there. Ah, uh, it's out there. <laughs> we can't see yeah. it. I know. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, so who knows? There, there, may, there may be further dark galaxies that we can't see. It, there may well be. And I think this is, this is the interesting well, thing. Well, in fact, me. there must be, I suppose. Yeah. Is structures on the scale of a galaxy being dark as well? It's just, uh, well, it's mind-blowing. Blobs mm. of something out there that are galaxy-sized, that are nearly dark, and we can't see them. So, you know, the universe is full of quite strange quirks, really. Indeed. All right, well, good to talk. Thank you. Nice chat, Philip. Cheers. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife. 